one of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we are starting our recap of Legend of Korra Season 2 with Episodes 201, Rebel Spirit, and 202, The Southern Lights. Now, you know the drill at this point. You can expect full spoilers for Legend of Korra, potential spoilers for the Avatar The Last Airbender, and the FCE Avatar novels. But before we get into that discussion, Andre, how are we doing this week? Doing good. Um, the deep in the trenches of apartment searching. I hate it. I hate every minute of it. Everything's really expensive. Um, yeah, that's how I'm doing. <laughs> I do not envy you right now. <laughs> Girl, I can't with these prices. Yeah. You think you find something good and then first of all, they almost never have the prices on the website. Oh, of course not. Because why would they? Because they change it every day. Which I don't know who said that was okay, but anyway. And then they you call and they're like, yeah, a two-bedroom apartment? That'll be uh, $2,200 a month? No, I'm good. Thank you. You have to awkwardly tell them, mm, sorry, I'm too poor for that. Um, but maybe next time. God, I yeah. hate it. Oh my God. We'll find something though. Yeah, exactly. We're we're not moving till like till like beginning of April, but it's like it's still you know, yeah, middle it's February. February. It's scary. I get. We want to try lock lock something down as soon as possible so we don't have to worry about it. Mm, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Adulting. Yeah. How are you, Kayla? How are you doing? I am being harassed by the American Red Cross. Speaking of awkward phone calls, <laughs> um, <laughs> I donated blood one time like a few months ago. Uh, first of uh-huh. all, they've did a fucking number on me. They I had a bruise like a bruise going up and down my arm for like <gasps> a week and a half. It was really? horrifying to look at. Um, like, oh yeah, it was bad. And so hence why I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do that again. Um, but like literally they have called me like three different times in the last month. Um, you know, basically they're good. I will say I am like, you know, as a, as a, you know, person on the other end of things, I am, you know, annoyed by it. But as someone who studied marketing, mm-hmm. I am impressed by how good they train these <laughs> call operator things that like yeah because they get really get you it's like oh we can get you in for next week i'm like and then i literally just hang up on them at that point <laughs> like <laughs> i'm too polite until then and i'm like no like until yeah. y'all get better people to draw blood out of people's arm um yeah i'm not doing that uh at the very least yeah, i don't un- blame you unfortunately i have the universal donor blood so that's not great uh you know it makes me feel mm. especially guilty when people are like when, when i get messages like you know because i know my blood type now <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh but yes yeah, so that's been that's not exactly been a bane of my existence but you you mentioning like awkward phone calls got me got me thinking about that <laughs> Yeah. I'm good otherwise, you know. Um, like, you know, my job is my job. It's, you know, the nine to five, all that delightful shit. I am, you know, just chugging along and, you know, applying for new jobs and trying not to be miserable as much as possible. (laughs) Yay. I am ready for daylight savings because this winter has been a brutal for my mental health. Oh, for sure. Uh, It's been so gloomy. Well, before we get into our main discussion, we just wanted to let everyone know that these bi-weekly episodes are not the only way that you can enjoy the Avatar Hour podcast because we have tons and tons and tons of exclusive content on our Patreon for as little as $1 a month and up to $5 a month, including early release ad-free episodes, our Zoom recording sessions, 
access to our episode schedule so you can see what we're talking about in advance, as well as our flagship benefit, The Avatar After Hour, where Kayla and I have little mini discussions about a specific topic. We're actually going to be recording a new episode of uh, Avatar After Hour this coming week. So look out for a new episode of that where me and Kayla are going to ponder the question, would we actually even consider dating someone who was the avatar which is slightly relevant to these two episodes that we're going to be talking about this week so yeah so if you'd like to tune in for that head over to our patreon at patreon.com slash the avatar hour podcast let's get into legend of chorus season two everyone's least favorite season i am very interested in how this goes for us (laughs) <laughs> same i'm very i'm very excited to talk about this season oh. um well i thought before we get into our individual thoughts of each episode i wanted to do like big points about where we are where we are in the season new new characters um as well as a big overarching thing that is largely known about the season that i wanted to pick your brain about um so specifically let's start with new characters um, so we have Eska and Desna who end up being sort of recurring characters after this season. Yeah, um, they, and we get to witness here and there. They pop up here and there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we are also introduced to Varric, who is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> He's my always uh, the best. Love Varric. Oh we also God. get properly introduced to Tenzin siblings, Boomy and Kaya. And our first introduction to Unalak, who we end up finding is Tonrock's Bible thumper brother. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, I think it. that's all of our big new characters. Um, so we'll be talking about those characters as we get into the episode. Um, and now let's touch base where Team Cora is at at the beginning of this season, just so we got a clear start. Um, so Bolin is running the Fire Ferrets, just him. Cora and Mako are off doing questionably sure bigger and greater things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ma- uh, Mako is a cop. Mm. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, Asami is trying to keep future industries profitable after they you got know, canceled. Father, yeah, after they got canceled, exactly. <laughs> I, I hated <laughs> and her father faced of. mass incarceration. That's literally uh, what I was thinking, like watching, like when she was talking about, like you know, no one wants to work with us anymore, and I'm like, oh, future industries got canceled. <laughs> like I hate yeah, that I yeah, immediately jumped you know, on that. Someone's going down, uh, you know, Republic City roads, driving a future industries car you know someone stops him hey did you know the guy who made that car is like really problematic and then the guy just says you know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and then just drives off it do like that uh, <laughs> Cora is in the midst of her airbending training and about to embark on a voyage to the air temples so we think um, and then I wanted to talk about this because this is a thing that gets brought up every time people talk about the season so apparently at the beginning of this season, the show switched to a new animation studio because the previous one was so ridiculously overworked <sighs> on season one. There's a doc, uh, not documentary, there's a YouTube video out there talking about this, but they were, you know, had people sleeping at the studio, what? like meeting and meeting impossible deadlines, working and not much 90 is... hour weeks to try to get the season out. <laughs> not much has changed since then. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. Not so much Brike's fault. It really kind of was, oh, you guessed it, Nickelodeon's fault. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was... Um, And, but apparently this current studio only lasted until about episode seven. Mm. Um, And then the old studio came back in to finish the season. I believe the old studio's name is Studio Mirror. Um, And that, I'm... 
I can't remember exactly why they had to come in and finish the episode, but some people think it's because the animation is kind of awful in the first couple episodes of the season. And I previously never really understood. Like, I I was, like, trying to see what people were talking about. Yeah. And I kind of noticed it this episode after I just, like, did a quick comparison, like, watching the last episode of season one and then beginning episode one of season two mm-hmm. um but did did you like watching these two episodes for the episode did you notice the different animation at all no i had no idea that it was even a different like animation studio period like i also didn't know that animation that the animation was a common complaint about season two so i might just not be that observant yeah it's something it's something you gotta watch you gotta look for yeah i don't think it's like distractingly bad as some people think it is um but if i like if i really really look for it i can kind of see what people are talking about Mm -hmm. i don't know it's worth looking at at like the next couple of episodes just to see because that's something that's going to be on my mind so yeah well now now that i know i might not unsee it so yeah (laughs) (laughs) love Um, that well okay let's let's get into episode one rebel spirit what are your thoughts off the bat yeah off the bat well let me scroll down to what i wrote because i watched this a few days ago i mean i definitely watched it right before this recording i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) um so i for one i'm really glad that we got to i was just happy to i to see the southern water tribe again especially because this is like Mm -hmm. It's for being reintroduced to the Southern Water Tribe um, since, like, you know, when we saw it in The Last Airbender. Uh, obviously, it's grown from a small village of a couple of igloos and stuff to this, you know, carnival now for set up for, yeah. uh, you know, this this spirit festival. Um, yeah, it's a proper it's a proper town. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. Uh, and, you know, just, and I just another example of just the details of world building and, you know, like remembering that showing the passage of time um visually very well um i also yeah. uh another thought speaking of mako being a cop it does just does, does, does a cab apply to mako i guess because like he kind of annoys me anyway so <laughs> apparently yeah like oh i i will still never really understand this choice for him i guess because he did some slight deducting like detective work in season one so the writers were like hey let's make him a cop yeah the one episode where they went to go find bolin and like you know that's it they're like yeah hey yeah exactly that's exactly what happened meanwhile like i was okay i'm not sure how much my hatred and i I don't hate mako i'm just more annoyed by him uh and they clearly were running out of things to do with him once okay their will they won't they is now over what do we do with him what what what's what's he what's he gonna do that's literally what they're doing the the rest of the entire series just them being like what the heck do we do with mako what what, what are your thoughts (laughs) i'm 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 mixed i'm mixed on the mako thing because i know it and like as the season progresses he like plays a part in like trying to figure out this conflict between the southern and northern water tribes but in the end he's there for the muscle you know Mm -hmm. because they need a firebender yeah so it's just kind of like but on the other hand i don't know what else they could have had mako done apart from just like accompanying cora on this like journey i guess they wanted to give him something more i don't know they kind of I don't know. Maybe if he spent if he spent the episode if he spent the season um doing like private investigation stuff and then turned into a cop because of that, 
maybe it wouldn't feel so like sudden. Abrupt. I don't know. I yeah. think it's just kind of like, he's a cop. All right, cool. Moving on. Yeah. You know? Also, his fucking one-liners of the whole, looks like he got some car trouble. Good thing the police are here. <laughs> he needs to shut the fuck yeah. up with that. Like, what does he, where does he think he's in? Do you think he's in like a Joss Whedon script or something? Like, come on, buddy. Literally. Like, literally. <laughs> They also ended up severely misrepresenting what he actually does because the rest of the season is him doing like paperwork and stuff, yeah. like not really doing those high speed chases. Yeah, you know. So Ugh, I don't know. It's it's just it's a choice. You yeah, know? It, it, it's a choice. It's but a choice. It's not a good I want, one. I want to talk about about him and Corey's relationship as we get going in. But yeah. Um. So I like overall. I get the the writers wanting to split up the group this season so they could have kind of their own arcs and we can kind of know them away from the group. Um, but this is kind of, this is probably my least favorite aspect about this specific specific season that they quickly corrected in season three because they just I think they realized I don't know if they realized like oh damn I don't think we wrote them the characters like strong enough to be individual characters that they don't work outside of the group Mm -hmm. and i think once they brought everyone back into a group then they started developing more in season three but i think they kind of they kind of overcorrected in that oh we want them to have individual arcs let's take them out of the group setting which i don't think is necessarily always the answer yeah Um, but it also should be noted that um bright actually kind of took a break from writing for this season so i think i think it was i think it was michael who like wanted to do more of the executive producing stuff and brian stayed on as kind of like the art director and i think they handed it off the writing to two avatar veterans who wrote on the original Mm -hmm. show um and i don't think they worked with the writers rooms i I think it was just the two guys with bright kind of like coming in and, you know, so the writing situation here on top of the animation studios is just the pre- the pre- behind the scenes stuff for this show is just a lot. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about uh, what do you think about the group being split this season? Do you think it was worth it to kind of see how they operate individually uh, or would you prefer to everyone kind of stay together? I mean, I, I do. I really one of my favorite episodes in season one. I think one of your favorite episodes in season one was when they actually got to work as a team and like, you know, the car chase mm. scene where like Asami's <laughs> driving and like, you know, Bolin and Cora are using earthbending to help get navigate those turns and things yeah. like that. That was, When they're being Batman. Yeah, exactly. That was a really good episode, be, a lot largely because of the group dynamic for it. And we got to see, you know, the you know these talented people working together um but also i will say for the group being split up in this season um Cora and mako being off on their own like definitely worked to the detriment of the splitting up the group however mm-hmm. it was i think that bolin and asami working together for a lot of the season worked really well i think that their relationship is super underrated um their friendship and like I don't know. They just work really well off of each other. And we didn't really have to get a whole lot of Bolin and Asami scenes in, you know, season one. So it was nice to kind of have those two work off each other well. And, you know, I mean, Varric's in their scenes as well. So it's just I I, I almost enjoy watching the uh, like Bolin and Asami scene a little bit more than I enjoy watching like Korra and Mako, you know, I don't know about you. Yeah. And then. And then I know we're getting like really ahead of ourselves, but like them kind of like 
it, the will they want they with Mako and Asami again. And I think I think I could have done away with like Bolin's Nuktuk thing and have him tag along with Mako and Asami once they try to figure out like the the whole conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know. I just think it it. I'm not saying they have to be on screen all the time together doing everything together, mm-hmm. but it it was. I re- just remember watching the season every time. It feels very difficult to feel like they are a group of friends taking on the world when they're doing things that are so separate. Yeah. And when they do come back at the end for the final boss, it's kind of like, yeah, it, they're coming back together because it's the final episode, not the paths kind of like brought them back together, mm-hmm. you know? And if they, even if they wanted to do a, the friend group breaks up and you know, they're, they're mad at each other and they have to like find their way back to each other. That could have been engaging. Yeah. But it's just kind of like the story but, is the story. Cause yeah. But in order to make that work, you need to have them together first. So that way when they're separate, it's yeah. much more stark, you know, and seeing what they're missing yeah. without each other, you know, yeah. it would have been stronger that way. I get, I, I agree. Um, I have a little uh, like this little like thing that I saw that reminded me of a headcanon that I mm-hmm. saw on like I think it was like Tumblr or Reddit or one of those pages, um, and it was uh, when Cora is you know doing like playing the airbending game with the kids, and like she mm-hmm. goes into the Avatar state and uses rocket fuel to win. Um, someone said that it was like a headcanon that like Cora in the Avatar state was like Aang playing with his grandkids, and that made my heart melt a little Aww. bit. Like. That makes it a little bit sweet, you know, just just a little bit. <laughs> um, I keep seeing memes of anytime like Aang and Korra are like in the Avatar state and they're like doing some murderous shit. It cuts to that that meme from SpongeBob where it's plankton and SpongeBob's brain. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm talking Not, about? <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I'm also thinking about maximum overdrive at the same time. So all the, yeah, it always comes yeah. back to SpongeBob, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh my, oh my god. god. Um. And also, well, speaking of conflict, let's talk about. Can we talk about Mako and Korra's relationship? Yes, where it is right we now? can. Oh my god! I mean, let's talk about it. <laughs> as much as I am annoyed with Mako, I can tell he's trying his best, and I will give him that. Yeah. Um, however, yeah. I want to say, as someone you know, I'm not by no means a relationship expert by any means, but you know, hey, buddy, I, if I ever talk to Mako and like have him sit down or something, I'd be like, so your girlfriend is asking for advice maybe mm. you know offer what you can try to help as opposed to being like yeah trust your judgment like she's asking for something help her you know he yeah. is trying his best and i can tell um and it does make me roll my eyes at how it ends up but also i want to pull cora aside and be like patience grasshopper okay like <laughs> yeah there's definitely both of them got some things they got to work on yeah i think i think the core issue here it, it resonates with me because i had this problem at the beginning of my relationship was when it's time to listen and when it's time to offer advice or even solutions mm-hmm. to mako's defense when he did offer a solution Cora kind of was like, oh, so you're just not taking my side? And he was like, who says they're sides? This is just what I think you should do. So Cora only really wants advice if it's something that she already wants to do, if that makes sense. But I have a whole thing about what I think is going on with Cora and why she seems to be so snappy with not just Marco, but like her father and everybody. Um, But this is, I I always notice every time, this is where really where people start extremely hating 
on Cora. Um, and I'm for acting like the shelter teenager that she is, who's never had a relationship with somebody. Um, and I was looking on Avatar Wiki, and Brian Konitsko even has some stuff to say about the fans' reactions to Cora's character arc at the beginning of the series, because he said. A lot of people, especially in the first five episodes, a lot of fans were like, I don't like where character, where, sorry, I don't like where Cora's character is going. Like she's, you know, really bratty and all this stuff. And that's a fine point. I mean, she really never had friends. She didn't grow up around siblings. She had this weird situation where she was being groomed to be this world power. And she really took to the athletic side of things. Um, implying that that's the only side of things she kind of took. Which I think, I think, think is a pretty you know reasonable implication to make upon your audience but t- people just really take it at face value and don't consider you know her background and why she might be acting that way yeah I mean I get why I still also want to be like girl go to therapy uh, I also will say that like because of everything like, I'm not like I'm not excusing her behavior or anything I think that she still has some leftover, I mean, well, trauma is a complicated thing, but I think um, kind of some of the pressures of being the Avatar have kind of, as we saw throughout season one, that like she started to really see the pressure and feel the pressure of what it means to be the Avatar and to be a world leader. Um, And also on top, I mean, being a teenager is overwhelming enough as it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, like, just being a re- in a relationship for the first time is overwhelming as it is. Uh, so, like, it's hard enough when you're normal, let alone, you know, a super-powered being. Uh, right. <clears throat> so, like, I say that it's a combination of, like, the stresses of her position. And that's not, I'm, again, I'm not excusing her behavior. She's also, you know, a teenager who definitely needs therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's going to need even more therapy after this. Uh, but it's it's an... I I can understand why she's behaving like this, even if I don't like it, <laughs> you know? No, yeah. And, you know, I I wish we kind of saw more of Mako's side of this and what he was really thinking, because I could see uh, him being really reluctant to give her solid solutions to things, because this isn't just any person you're dating. This is the Avatar. Yeah. And if you happen to give her a solution that ends up, you know, not panning out you're suddenly responsible for you know something on like that on the world stage you know but it it i don't think we're ever really meant to think that that's what mako's thinking but i think we should have kind of gone that way because i think it would have given him more emotional depth but i really i really do think he's trying but i do think he's just blind to the fact that you know saying i support whatever decision you make it doesn't you might support the decision, but it, it does not feel supportive to the person you're saying that to. Because it's, it's basically just a, a big old shrug and I don't know, do what you want, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I so I think what's happening with Korra is, yes, the pressure of being the Avatar, but I think a large part of it has to do with her going back home. And if you are someone who moved out, um, has been moved out for a couple years, really has done a lot of personal growth, um, to the point where, and especially if you have a strenuous relationship with your family, you know, when you go back home, there's things that get brought up. You might start rever- reverting back to old habits and you might st- start to see some backslide in that personal growth. And I think that's what's happening with Cora because Cora went off, 
coming from a very controlling situation and going off to find her own independence, find her own friends, what she likes to do off in Republic City. And now that I think she's back in the Southern Water Tribe, she is starting to mistake support for control. And I think that's why she reacts so negatively, not only to Mako, but to Tonrock as well, because he's just trying to do what he thinks is best for her. Um, but to her, it's you're controlling me, mm-hmm. which is a very common reaction for teenagers to have. But it's also tied into the this big reveal here that we get at the end of the episode, where turns out it actually was not Aang who ordered Korra to be secluded in the South Pole. It was actually Tonrock and Tenzin's decision, um, which leads to Korra leaving Tenzin's, you know, tutelage and finishing her training with Unalak. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think about this decision, Kayla? <laughs> like, this was... I kind of forgot about this. I remember talking to you about, why did Aang decide to do that? I kind of forgot that this, this happened. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh... I talk about the decision to lock her up in the Southern Water Tribe or the decision for Korra yeah. to kind of cut herself off from Unalak and kind of her father? Th- that it was... Ta- well, both. Both. Yeah. Okay, well, then I'll start with the seclusion in the Southern Water Tribe. Um, I get the... the Well, now we kind of know why she was locked up in the Southern Water Tribe. That's the information we right. get in later in the later season. Um, yeah. But... Which I think know, was kind of like trying to... Like, explain it give more reason to why this happened yeah yeah so i hmm what should i base my opinion on whether what like what we know at this point in the series or what we're going to know later um let's right. just say at this point in the series okay so at this point in the series that's fucked up uh and you know and then my other then my other part of the opinion of like knowing what i know with the red lotus and all that stuff that's fucked up but i understand why <laughs> like uh, no matter what, it definitely worked to her. Uh, honestly, it caused a lot more harm than good, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, locking her up with the Southern Water Tribe. But even worse, telling her that Aang wanted it. You know? like Yeah, that that's was, the part that, was, that I find pretty manipulative. That is vile, actually. Um, that is, yeah. considering, you know, how... People are, you know, I'm sure that undoubtedly, like, you know, Tenzin would be very concerned about his father's legacy and how he, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, he shows he cares about a lot about his father's legacy. But, like, that's just particularly, like, foul, you know, to use yeah. his father's, like, you know, influence post, you know, after his death to, you know, tell a little girl that, you know, why she can't go outside. <laughs> You know, like that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely vile, especially because that's like you, we can see how much like it affected, it affects Cora as, you know, yeah. it sets, it set her back. It really did. Yeah. Um, it set her back as yeah. an avatar and set her back as a developing person. You know, it makes it hard for her to handle relationships and friendships and things because she, you know, didn't have that. And so, you know, if you expect yeah. someone to be a world leader, they need to be of the world, you know? So, yeah. you know, I get this, you know, trying to keep her safe, but that was going way too far in the other direction, you know? I agree. I, and I, I, again, this is another thing I wish the season delved into more was 
Cora's anguish about the fact that that is that is the reason why she is kind of ill prepared for anything outside of the the position of being the avatar. I don't think she's reached that level of self awareness just yet. Um, but I think you know that decision it has repercussions for the whole series. It's the kind of the reason why we Cora ends up at the beginning of season four, how she ends up like uh, that is directly tied to that because once she loses her power to be the avatar, she's like, well, who am I? Exactly. It you doesn't know? allow, it didn't allow her a chance to really develop her identity outside of being the avatar. Yeah. And I, I think it's extremely manipulative to tell her that it was Aang who ordered her to stay in the South pole. I think it was to, you know, maintain a, needed level of trust between Tonrock and Tenzin. Um, and I I gotta have to think that Tenzin had some mixed feelings about this. Yeah. Um, because his father w- spent the majority of his life traveling the world. Not just in the show, in Atla, but I'm presumably there in t- his entire life, you know? And I like what you said about the Avatar, if, this, if the Avatar is a world figure... They need to be of the world, you know, and you're not going to learn about the world confined to this compound at the end of the world. So I think it was it was a big mistake. I understand why they did it. But I think after a couple of years where I think the threat of the Red Lotus would have been surely neutralized. I think that's when they could have like started opening her up to the world and having her train in the nations that she is bending the element of that is i think a huge part of being the avatar you oh, know God, especially absolutely. in the training aspect of it i mean especially so, cuz they went through those extreme measures of you know imprisoning the red lotus members you know with like yeah. you know they weren't they weren't able to break out for a long time so you know at the, you know they would she would have been more prepared for it if they were you know, if that were to happen it just, at the same it just, timeline. Yeah, but it just gives you insight to the state of the world when Aang died. Like, mm-hmm. there, to, to this extent, like, there must have been some level of extreme imbalance to warrant this kind of reaction to the point, like, they couldn't even threaten Korra's life by letting her just even leave the Southern Water Tribe in general, like the actual compound, you know, like it gives you some insight to how like troublesome things were. And that's, we kind of got that, you know, in, in like the first Kyoshi book, like the very beginning of the novel before they find the avatar, you know, there's, there's civil unrest. The world's, the world is in turmoil. There's a lot of things going on. So those periods between, you know, when an avatar dies and the other one's born, those first couple of years, man, are rough for the world. But you know, it's it's all in part being in service to the symbolism of what the Avatar is meant to be. Um, but yeah, big reveal, but it was is kind of it's insane the more you think about it. Um and now I let's let's talk about the the things that the, the season is named after. Um the spirits. Um, which I think continue to be a metaphor for climate change as they were in the first season. I think they took it a step further um, in the first episode where Unalak is, you know, talking about like the severe, like doomsday sort of scenario. And then, all right, let's bring out the dancing penguins, you know, and let's not think about it and just kind of like 
you know, live life. Don't live life in fear. And it's very, feel like very poignant uh, right now. Um, but I think, Train I like how they took it a step further and kind of like, you know, we're kind of distracting ourselves from the impending apocalypse. Um, but I mean, overall, this and, you know, the spirit bending being revealed. Do you have any thoughts on it? On what the the, the role the spirits are playing this season? I'm just glad they introduced that more because like they delved a little into it in Avatar The Last Airbender, but like this to kind of get more into it and even again introducing spirit bending. Um, Mm -hmm. So cool. I as much as like this, you know, season gets a lot of, you know, you know, justifiable dislike and distaste for it. I really mm. do enjoy the fact that they expanded further. Okay, so now we have established where the world is after Aang dies. Okay, mm. here's, you know, like, here's a little bit more about the world that you know, besides, you know, the yeah. technology that exists. Like, what does that mean in the metaphysical side of things, you know? Um, I'm really glad, long story short, that they introduced more spiritual things. Yeah, me too. I think I think it's it was, it's interesting enough just, um, you know, introducing the idea of the dark spirits, but I think I think it's really interesting but that um, more, the spirit bending technique that oh yeah go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, but more in particular, the fact that they introduced the fact that there's no dark spirits, uh, that like you know that they they know evil spirits, I should say, uh, that they introduced the concept yeah. that there's there's like you know just influenced by the light or the dark, um, and right. could yeah. go in either direction. So I sorry I forgot to mention yeah. that. No 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 yeah thank you. Um, yeah, and then this this spirit uh, relaxing technique or whatever you want to call it that Unalak introduces, I think it's interesting that it's based on in water bending. Um, oh, because I think I think next to air bending, water bending is probably the closest spiritually. Uh, I'd have to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of really it's it's really cool. I like the animation of the way Unalak, you know, kind of like go in peace with the spirits and I like it in that it sets him up to be a you know um powerful a mediate a mediator of conflict while also being a pretty powerful bender um he's still very bible thumper I think in this first episode yeah you know? yeah the the carnival's great but you know the world's just going to shit mm-hmm. um but you know and this this will obviously get you know expanded upon in the in the coming episodes but I think it's I think for what this season is, I think this episode sets a whole, a whole lot of things up Agreed. really, really nicely. Yeah, it doesn't feel, honestly, it doesn't feel like super duper overwhelming, despite all the things that were kind of thrown at us, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you have some uh, smaller points before we move on to the second episode? Uh, I, I keep forgetting how many, um, like, how they actually managed to get some pretty, like, relatively big names in this, uh, in Korra. Mm-hmm. Like they got mm. Aubrey Plaza voices uh Esther. Man. So like <laughs> I love Aubrey Plaza. Oh my god. I love I mean also just like I will protect you, my feeble turtle duck. Like I <laughs> This is at the peak of uh, her Parks and Rec fame too. That's right. You know, 20, 2014. Yeah. Or twenty thirteen, I think. Yeah. So I mean she obviously she's play she's basically herself. She's basically April pretty much April Ludgate <laughs> in yeah. the Avatar universe. Um, and what was the other, I think I kind of got all of my points. Uh, I have some more things to say about Aang's kids, uh, in the next, uh, episode. 
But I think Varric's voice actor is also a pretty yes. I can't um, remember his name right now, but here big name. I got it. It's John Michael Higgins. Yes, he's he's yeah. in a lot of things. He's not quite you know like crazy A lister, but you recognize him. I know him, him best. Yeah, I know him best as the commentator guy from Pitch Perfect. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but oh I mean, yeah, his his IMDb is is very, 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 very extensive. Yeah, but so he's hilarious. You're as bound Varric. to have found him in something. He's yeah. hilarious as Varric. Varric again. It's it, he is one of the reasons why Varric is one of the best characters in the show because of his delivery, because of his characterization. Like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, you know, like actors have a big role in developing how a character you know comes across but like mm. if i don't think Varric would be the same or as good as he is without you know having him voice Varric, in my opinion yeah yeah i i think a lot of it has to do with them giving him time to like be comedic mm-hmm. like my favorite part is is when he's like look at me look at me in the eye and there's just the whole the whole episode pauses for 10 seconds yeah. And he goes, we got a deal. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh, God. It was and then so of course funny. we get our, our intro to Julie. Love her. Um, poor thing is just a slave. I know. <laughs> in this season. Oh God. But yeah, love Eric. Yeah, absolutely. He is one of the best parts of this season. And I forgot how early he was introduced. I thought it was he wasn't going to show up yeah. later. But like, wow, first episode. All right, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I want that Air Bison plushie that Cora gets. Um, thank you. <laughs> I yeah. want it. It's so fluffy. I love. I love when they're when they're they're in the carnival and they're and they got like the water guns with Aang's face, and then when it gets to the top, it, like his eyes start glowing. I think that's so funny. I love it. All right. Well, is that all of our thoughts for episode two hundred one, Rebel Spirit? Uh, Bolin's relationship with Eska is yikes. Uh, that's it. <laughs> Oh, and his bisexual awakening. I forgot to mention. Well, not just the bisexual. We did mention the bisexual awakening, but it was the um, just the the whole relationship of a really kind of toxic relationship being played for laughs here. Oh, yeah. It. Like, yeah, it's funny because yeah. it's a guy. It's a- oh, I see what you mean. I see. Yeah, what you mean. that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't think it would be as funny if it was the other way around. Yeah. 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 yeah don't love that. Y- yikes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that cool. note <laughs> okay well we should we should probably take a break because we're 45 minutes in yeah. and we still have a whole episode <laughs> to cover uh, we'll take a quick break here and then we'll see you guys after the ad read for episode 202 the southern lights stay tuned cool hey everyone kayla here before we get into the second half of the episode we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the avatar hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice And if that platform has a rating system, please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with continuation of our recap of the first two episodes of Legend of Korra Season 2 with 202, The Southern Lights. So in this episode, we get to see a little bit more of you know, Tenzin's relationship with his siblings a little bit, his relationship with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like now that he's no longer having to teach Korra, kind of like, what do I do now? Um, yeah. And I just first thought off of the bat, I feel bad for, so bad for Pema. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if I asked, said that in the first season, but God, I feel awful for her. Like, you know, she's, just known as like the mother of the next generation of airbenders and like mm-hmm. that's it 
that salt. Yeah. I don't know. I also just don't like how her character's treated in the show anyway, but like it's even worse by like the world around her. Like, oh. Yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that she isn't a, a bender. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if she was, I mean, unfortunately, that's that just puts you in a whole other class of people in this in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fact that she isn't a bender, I think, is kind of the reason why also people just kind of see her as the mother of the next generation avatars. On top of the fact that, like, you know, it is a big deal that there are more airbenders in the world, but it's I think it's still icky how people treat her. I agree. She's just an incubator. I think it's also. Yeah, I think it's also kind of fucked that nobody knows about Kaya and Boomy. That is so fucked. Um, That's not even like even, and it's this isn't like some random bozo off the street. This is an air acolyte who didn't yeah. know that Aang had other children. Yeah, and also the fact that like his ki- children are like you know, not just like fully grown adults, but like you know in their like you know fifties probably or something. You know, well, like that. And Boomy is a retired commander of the United Forces. Not sure what Kai is doing, but Kaya has traveled the world. Yeah. You know, are you telling me no one knows that they're Aang's kids? Like, that's just... That's, that's very weird. Do you do we think Aang kept them as a secret? Or were people like, oh, oh, they're not airbenders? Oh, we don't care about them. Yeah, I think it seems more like an overshadowing kind of thing of, like, just Tenzin, like, being the first airbender born in a long time would be the the main focus that would kind of overshadow i think honestly like just knowing how humans are with things like you know mm-hmm. i'm just trying to imagine when like you know ang guitar had boomy and then you know like you know the world's watching with bated breath and seeing you know you know if it's an airbender yeah, yeah. and then oh okay well maybe the next kid may have the next kid no yeah. she's a waterbender okay and then like tenzin overshadows everything with Oh my god, everybody, right. baby, oh my god, you know. So I guess like because Tenzin kind of took all of that spotlight away from the other two, maybe that's why. Um, but that's yeah, it's just a whole other level of awful. Yeah, I guess this is kind of how like in the original show, how the Fire Nation don't know what Zuko and Azula look like. Or even like I think they know what Ozai looks like, but He's, it's like kind of seen several times. Yeah, it's, it's it's seen several times in the show, and I think also in one of the comics we read mm-hmm. that Azula and Zuko's faces are not known to the public as you know Zuko. the Fire Princess and the Fire Prince. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's not known, I guess, which I I think is a little weird, but um, but especially in this in this time frame, like you know, Tenzin and his family are pretty much like they're descendants of the avatar. Like it's like the world's closest thing to like a Royal family, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I'm like surprised. I just am always surprised that no one knows that Kaya and Boomy exist. I think it's so weird. Yeah. And fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see. Um, Oh, I think it was really nice for you visiting the Southern air temple. Um, oh, yes. and, and uh, I found a little fun fact from Avatar Wiki. Uh, the statue room in the Southern Air Temple that we see in episode two was, according to Brian Koninsko, one of the reasons they fell supremely behind schedule a couple of times because it was a nightmare to animate and draw all of those statues, which if it was a nightmare at that time, cannot imagine what it was like in the original show because um, we saw pretty much the same kind of scene. Um, so, yeah. Just a little fun fact there. Um, but speaking of these statues, this episode starts to lay 
the path for Janora's arc. This like her, her ties to being very spiritual because she, she she seems to be called by the statue of the spirit of Avatar One, which I think is really cool. It's like rough hewn wood, like it's carved wood, um, and not in marble like the others. I think that's a really really interesting touch but i also forgot that we we saw avatar one this early and rava is carved right behind him um so i think it's really cool that we got to see him this early in the the season kind of laying you know laying the path for that as well oh absolutely and um it is funny like i did not expect that it was a nightmare to you know animate the statues that was the cool tidbit thanks avatar wiki <laughs> yeah um, so the the big, you know, thrust of this episode is uh, Unalak is taking Korra to open the spirit portal in the South Pole um, to restore balance is what he gives the reasoning for. Because I was I was halfway watching this episode and I was like, wait, why are we going to open the spirit portal? So I had to rewind back to the explanation. And he just says it's to restore balance and i'm was surprised that Corey doesn't seem to question it a whole lot um it's kind of like you know and even tonrock is like how do you even know what he says is is true mm-hmm. and then that's when Unalak points out the lack of the spirits of the sky which and he gets some interesting background to you know after the hundred years war the northern water tribe helped the southern part rebuild but they only rebuilt them physically not spiritually um which is why they don't have lights in the sky like they do in the northern lights which i think is is a cool tie-in to you know a real world thing um but i yeah i was kind of like sure but how does it restore balance i'd be like how does specifically opening because that's not what it really is that's how unalak sees it but he's yeah. he wants to get in that spirit world girl yeah um, to get you know to get into get to vatu but like well to him yeah. he's, he's technically telling the truth at least his version of it when he says, you yeah. know, I'm going to restore balance by making a dark avatar to match the light avatar, which that's right. a whole other But if shindig. I was going in that cave alone, I'd have a, a couple more questions. I'd be like, why yeah. are we doing this again? Yeah. You know, but yeah. I think Korra is just like, yeah, new master, dangerous journey into the Everstorm. Let's do it. Yeah. And also, you know, like, yeah, exa- that's exactly why. Because she's like, okay, new person to learn from. Like, he's super powerful. I feel pretty... I feel pretty secure in his judgment right now. So let's just, let's yeah. just do it. Let's just fucking go for it. Um, yeah. And of course her and Mako are still kind of like bickering um, over the whole thing. Um, and largely, again, it comes to her dad. We find out this backstory about, you know, Tanrock committing an act of climate change and destroying a forest and making a spirit angry. Um, kind of like how, you know, how we saw with Hey in the original show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I wanted to ask you, do we think Cora is right to be mad at her dad for not telling her? Because he said it was to maintain their honor by not telling her. Um, but she thinks it's just another thing that she kept from him, from from her. He kept from her. What do you think? I don't know. It kind of makes me roll my eyes and like protecting family honor and things like that. Because like she was going to find out one way or another and it was not going to be good. Uh Either way, so might as well, like, you know, trust in your kid and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They, they need better communication in this family. They all need to go to therapy again and work on their communication styles, okay? Everyone in the I, show. And I think, I think Tonrock still sees Korra as the little four-year-old Korra that we see in oh, the beginning of the show. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I think 
there's a tiny bit of an implication that he came along so that this story didn't get out because he was scared that Unalak would tell Korra without him being there to defend himself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also because he kind of shows up out of nowhere. Oh, like, oh, I'm coming with you. You mm-hmm. know, that sounds um, about right. I yeah, about I don't know. Right. Yeah, but this is where I started getting this idea of like her being back at home with her parents kind of like re-triggering that, you know, constant feeling of being controlled and like trying to barrel into hyper independence you know mm-hmm. um but there is this other side of the coin where i don't think and i thought about this a little bit i don't think the people around cora reaffirm her and her abilities and knowledge and autonomy as much as they could mm-hmm. and that's why i think she takes to unalog so much because he makes her feel capable he makes her feel autonomous and i don't think the people around her really do that because I mean Mako and Bolin, Bolin have no reason to because they met Korra while she was on this journey of independence right and to Tonrock her being independent means that he can't look after her which she sees that as being too controlling yeah you know so it, it's it's just another reason I think there are very subtly placed things in the writing of of the, these relationships, of why Korra ultimately takes to Unalak so well and seems to blindly trust him very quickly. You know, it's that external validation that someone at her age is, you know, most of the time really striving for and really wanting. Yeah. You know, he gives her that validation tenfold compared to everybody else. Exactly. Um, and that's why it's so, yeah. it's so powerful in that way, too, because, like, he uses... Exactly. He's, he knows kind of the conditions that she's been in and he knows exactly what to say to play her. And then also, yeah. okay, so this, like, knowing what I know happens later, like, just makes even more disappointed about Unalak as a villain, which I'm sure we'll develop that talk more as, like, the season carries on. But I kind of want to start that mm-hmm. discussion a little bit right now of, like, mm-hmm. he also, he had potential. He was more of a religious zealot, like, you know, with, you know, how with his everything. Um, but also like his abilities as a manipulator, like similar to um, oh, what's his name, Tarlock in season one. You know, of like yeah. being able to use Korra by playing to her ego, um, mm-hmm. and that could have been interesting to watch, especially as a family member too, doing this to her. Um, I feel like there was definitely a lot missing from his character, and I'm sure we'll talk into more about those kind of fault lines and all yeah yeah agreed um so yeah she gets in there does the the good old avatar boop yeah the avatar and all the, the almighty boop avatar state boop yeah <laughs> like. yeah and uh the spirit portal is open which is the first stage to unalong's oh so evil plan um and then they return to the southern water tribe and unalong is marching in northern troops unbeknownst to Korra. Um. Nice. Yeah, and this is where you're first. If you haven't started suspecting him as a villain now, this is kind of when you're like, "Oh, guys, I the music is kind of menacing." So I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't yeah. think I don't think he's a good guy. No, um, I don't think so either. But yeah, this episode's pretty much pretty much it's more straightforward of, of what's what's going on. But yeah, um, yeah. Now we're on the brink of civil war, which is so fun for a kids' TV show. Yeah, um, politics. <laughs> Politics, love it. <laughs> I mean, um, I personally do, but you know, that's the a fictional politics, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. 
Ugh. Um, any other thoughts on this episode? Nothing else I can think of. My notes are considerably shorter than what they were for last episode. But yeah, pretty straightforward. You know, just kind of seeing again with this whole season, it seems like I'm going to, it's kind of delving into what worked and what didn't work and seeing if my opinion changes mm. on the season since, you know, I first started watching it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Alrighty, let's move on to recommendations. Kayla, what do you recommend? So, uh, if you like Avatar, uh, you should, as if you're watching to the, you know, and listening, watching slash listening to our podcast. Uh, but you know, you like uh, Avatar, you will, you will love The Legend of Fox Machina. I think I've recommended it when it was first airing on Amazon Prime. It's still on Amazon Prime. They just came out with season two. I think all of the episodes are out now. Um, for those of you who don't know what Vox, Legend of Vox Machina is, it's basically um, an adaptation of a uh, D&D campaign made into a serialized story. So basically a bunch of voice actors got together, played Dungeons and Dragons. It's been going on for, I think, t- uh, 10 years now uh, since the first uh, live stream. But basically a bunch of voice actors played Dungeons and Dragons and shenanigans happen and it's become so popular that they've gotten their own animated TV series. And it is... Fantastic storytelling. The voice acting, of course, is fantastic. And also a little tie into The Last Airbender. Obviously, you can tell there's a lot of Avatar influence in uh, this show, but Jeanette Varney actually makes a cameo in The Legend of Vox Machina. She plays uh, Keyleth, uh, one of the characters whose powers are elemental-based, and she plays her mother, and her powers are also elemental-based. So she actually has a little talk with baby Keyleth in a flashback talking about, you know the elements and things like that. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool episode. It's a cool moment. And I haven't watched the whole season yet, but I fucking love it. Um, I highly, highly recommend it to anyone. Even if you don't know jack shit about Critical Role, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to know anything about the story. It's just that engaging. And, you know, it's, as someone who doesn't have the time, energy, or, you know, to d- dedicate to listening to a four hour long podcast of them playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like this because I still want to be a part of something, but like, you know, mm. I can just get it through the show. And they're making, they just confirmed they're making another show of based on the second campaign, The Mighty Nine. So I'm really excited about that. Anywho. That's really cool. That's I've fun. seen, I've seen some side on side by sides on TikTok of like the original campaign and then how it's like line for line in yeah. the show. I think that's so cool. It's so cool. And also just shows like, you know, consider they added like direct lines from an improvised moment in the campaign. Like, yeah. shows you how good they are at what they do yeah um so it's so cool i'll, I'll peer pressure andre into watching that now <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um, you should watch it though i will watch that if kayla watches my recommendation uh which i highly recommend everyone go watch the white lotus um it's kind show. of like hbo's <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of like hbo's newest and not new it's like two seasons in but it's been getting some traction on tiktok um, if you've heard the sound, these gays, they're trying to murder me. It's from the White Lotus. Jennifer Coolidge, love her. It's Jennifer Coolidge, of course not. <laughs> love. Uh, if you if you only watch it just for Jennifer Coolidge, you will be more than more than satisfied. But what is it? Even I mean, about? listen, this. Sh- okay, I can't wait. So <laughs> I've seen. SNL so it's basically skit. it's. Have you so you know how like remember how like American Horror Story every season was like a new. Um, mm-hmm you know, story and they would kind of overlap yeah, eventually. Anthology. So the White Lotus is kind of like that. So like the first season, the reason it's called White Lotus is because there's the this group of people and they're all staying at the White Lotus Resort. 
The first one is in uh, Hawaii. The second one is in Italy. Um, so they're, it's all about these like really weird groups of people, you know, staying at this hotel and seeing how their storylines kind of overlap. I kind of liken it to Knives Out. Um, oh, okay. It's the, the writing... The writing of the it's not a it's well it is kind of a murder mystery because there's the a murder aspect and you don't know who did it until the end of the show because it starts with the murder and then it ends with mm-hmm. you know how it happened, um, but it is it is like Knives Out in how like you get this ensemble cast and they are basically representing pretty exaggerated versions of real life people. So you got like, you know, the entrepreneur, the journalist, the out of touch billionaire, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it manages to say a lot about people without it being like super on the nose. Um, and, but apart from that is just like a rompy soap opera drama. And it's just, some of it is just like the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it's not for the faint of heart. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to say that. Um, but I thought it was, it was pretty engaging. It's a very quick watch. Each season is six, seven episodes. Um, I basically binged it all in a weekend. Um, and it was great. So if you want to add something to your HBO TV show watch list, the white Lotus, you gotta, you gotta check it out. Good to know. Yeah. I do not have HBO max anymore because money, Uh, but uh how expensive. 15 dollars. come on i know right i'll mooch off somebody else and they're taking yeah. off all the good stuff too exactly which is also the reason why i don't really want to you know yeah but anywho yeah. I, I won't let um warner brothers know but if you want to if you want to if you need me to send you some uh some info just let me let me let me know um but everyone knows don't not don't, don't tell netflix, netflix though because oh, then, please. They, they, they got, they're not doing it anymore apparently so <laughs> not yet not yet we'll see they're going to start rolling it out incognito. Yeah, idiots. Oh, anyway. God. anyway, anyway, if you would like to stay up to date on new episodes and what we're up to in between episodes, things like that, you can see our Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour podcast and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. You're also on TikTok, which, you know, we post occasional goofy shit on there. You can find us at the Avatar Hour podcast. And if you got some thoughts, theories, headcanons, or you just want to say hello, send us funny memes. Uh, you can email us at the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com or you can just DM us on any of those platforms that I just mentioned. And before you go, please take a moment to make sure you are following or are subscribed to our show wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to leave a little review, let us know what you think about the show, how we're doing. Reviews really help the show find more people and help grow our little Avatar Hour family. Um, But that's it for us today, everybody. We will see you in two weeks for the next two episodes of Legend of Korra Season 2. Until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.